and this week actually begins our Heroes series. So if you would, get on your feet and uh, make a lot of noise for our friend, Chris Taves. Thanks, Rob. Have your seat. I hope uh, you're not making noise for me, but for Jesus. That's why we're all here today. So before we get started this morning, let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together in this place today, God. We thank you that as one church that we have the opportunity to listen to one voice. God, we are here for you. We worship you this morning. Only you are holy. Only your name is above every name. Only you are worthy. God, thank you that your word does not return void. That it will accomplish what it needs to this morning. In every single heart and every single mind. God, I pray for clarity this morning. I pray for understanding. I pray, God, that seeds that are planted this morning would bear much fruit. God, I pray that the that, that dead things would come to life this morning. Holy Spirit, breathe life into dry bones today, God. Make those dry bones live once again. Open our eyes, God, this morning so that we can see you. Open our ears, Father, this morning so we can hear you. Open our hearts, God, this morning so that we can respond to you. In the mighty name and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So as Rob said, we're kicking off a new series today entitled Heroes. It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about it. Uh, I have the privilege of, of kicking this off. So I want to ask you a question. What defines a hero? What makes one person a hero and another person not? You see, I believe we all have the opportunity to be a hero. Each and every person in this place, you and I, we have an opportunity to be a hero and each week we're going to look at a hero of faith, a story from the Bible, men and women that were just like you and me. They may not have had Instagram, but these people were just like you and me. They weren't perfect. They faced the same challenges and pressures and difficulties that we do. They made mistakes. They screwed up. But just like you and me, they were called by God for something far greater than just themselves. And just like you and me, they were called to a purpose for their life beyond simply surviving. And at the end of the day, I believe that what made these men and women heroes and what has the potential to make you a hero are two things. Number one, listening to the voice of God. And number two, obeying his voice. Because these heroes that we're going to talk about, they did listen to the voice of God. And then they obeyed. And Gideon was such a man. We're going to study Gideon as our hero today. Now, I have to warn you, it's going to be a little while before we actually get to Gideon, so bear with me. But we find his story in the book of Judges, the sixth chapter. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. The book of Judges is in the Old Testament. It's right after Joshua. But let me set the stage for you while you're finding that. In the first few chapters of Judges, we find the Israelites, after the death of Joshua, 
And Joshua's generation had died, and so the next generation had taken their place. And this generation of Israelites, this generation that followed Joshua's generation, they forgot to listen and obey God. And so they were invaded by their enemies, and they'd cry out to God for help, and God would send a deliverer. And over and over and over and over and over again, they would get stuck in this cycle. See, this cycle happened seven times in the book of Judges. Seven times they didn't listen and obey God. And seven times they were invaded by their enemy. And seven times they cried out to God for help. And seven times God sent a deliverer. And as you and I read Judges and we see these cycles of disobedience and then the consequence, it's crazy. You, you want to pull your hair out and yell at these Israelites and say, guys, what in the world are you thinking? What in the world are you doing? But just as crazy is the love and the patience that God showed his people each and every time that they cried out to him. And we might read these stories and laugh and say, how stupid can these people be? Until we realize that these same cycles are very prevalent in our own lives. See, some of us in this room today are stuck in a cycle, a cycle of sin, a cycle of disobedience, a cycle of fear, a cycle of negativity, a cycle of giving up. How about this one, a cycle of just being mediocre or average? See, these cycles keep us from God's best for our life. And as we read Judges and we hear the story of Gideon, we might as well be looking into a mirror. See, we all get stuck in cycles. But by the grace of God, this morning Jesus is going to break some people free from their cycles. I, it might be cold in here, but I said by the grace of God this morning, Jesus is going to break some people free from their cycles. See, if you clap, you're going to warm up as well. So it's, it's double beneficial. I feel like I'm actually talking to a living, breathing group of people, the church. So do you believe that? Are you ready? Are you at Judges 6 yet? If not, it's on the screen here. So Judges 6, verse 1, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. And the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains and the caves and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all their sheep, all their goats, all their cattle, all their donkeys, these enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. And they arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count. And they stayed there until the land was stripped bare. Everything gone. Stripped bare. And the Lord then sent a prophet to the Israelites. And this is what the prophet said. This is what the voice of the Lord said. He says, I delivered you from Egypt. I freed you from a life of slavery. I rescued you from Egypt's brutality. And then from every oppressor, I pushed them out of your way. And I gave you their land. And I told you, I'm the Lord your God, and you must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. 
but you have not listened to me. You see, God gives us choices. We are created by him and for him, yet he gave us a choice. We actually have to choose him. He created us with free wills. He could have made us robots, but he didn't. See, he wanted his creation, his creation that was made in his very own image, to choose him not out of duty, but out of love. See, he is unrelenting in his pursuit and his love for you and me, but the question is, the question is, will you and I have the same pursuit and love back towards him? It's a choice. And you may be here this morning, and you may technically be saved. You may have salvation, and that is amazing. That is a great gift, and I'm not taking anything away from what Jesus did on the cross. You may have escaped Egypt, but your life is not all that it could be. God says, I delivered you from Egypt. I freed you from slavery. I rescued you from Egypt's brutality. And then from every oppressor, I pushed them out of your way. And I gave you their land. God's saying, I rescued and redeemed you. I gave you salvation. I made a way for you. You are no longer a slave to sin. I drove out enemies in your life. But, but this life is not just about a ticket to heaven. God says, I have an amazing life that I want you to live here and now. God's saying, I have a purpose and a plan for you to be a hero in this life, right here and right now. See, church, salvation is a beginning. It's not an ending. It's a beginning. And there is a better life, but we must listen to his voice. Otherwise, you and I will be fighting thieves and bandits for the rest of our life, and just like the Israelites our lives will be stripped completely bare. See, there's more to this life than just salvation. There's more to this life than simply survival. Jesus told us in John 10.10, he said, the thief's purpose, Satan's purpose, the devil's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But he says, my purpose is to give you a rich and an abundant and a satisfying life. See, a lot of people don't want anything better because they haven't been exposed to anything better. You cannot live in a prison and expect to be free. You cannot surround yourself with blindness and expect to see. You cannot invest in fear and expect to have faith. You cannot expose yourself to worry and expect to have peace. You cannot hang out with defeated people Hello, you cannot hang out with defeated people and expect to be an overcomer. It's just not going to happen. So my question is, what do you want out of this life? Do you want more than a land that is stripped completely bare? What do you want out of this life? Is survival all that you want? In John 5, we read a story about Jesus. And he had just returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. And inside the city of Jerusalem, uh, near the Sheep Gate, it tells us there was a pool, the Pool of Bethsaida. And this pool had five covered porches, and crowds of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed people, they would lay on these porches. And from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down, and he would stir up the water in this pool. And whoever was the first person to step in the water after it had been stirred up, would be healed of whatever disease they had. And the Bible tells us that there was this man who had been ill for 38 years. He was lame. He had been there for 38 
years. 38 years. And I know this story. You you've may have heard this story before. I've heard some excellent sermons and messages on this. I've preached on this before myself. But two weeks ago when I was studying for this, it hit me. See, I'm 38 years old right now. That's a long time to be in one condition. I'm not saying I'm old. No. Thank you, Mike. But 38 years is a substantial amount of time. That's a long time to be stuck in one condition, not going anywhere. That's a long time for somehow to not be the first one in the pool when the angel stirs the water. Somehow get a friend or buddy, wiggle yourself over there. Somehow not getting in the water for the first time. Stuck for 38 years. Church, this life is short. Do not waste it. Do not waste a moment. I'm preaching to myself as much as you. 38 years. This guy had been lying there, and Jesus saw him. And, and, and of course, Jesus knew, the Bible says he already knew that he had been in that condition, been lame a long time for 38 years. And Jesus asks him what seems like a ridiculous question. Jesus said to him, do you wish to get well? Do you want to get well? Listen to me carefully, church. He will not do it without your agreement. You have a choice to make. 38 years lying on your porch, stuck in whatever cycle that you're stuck in, and you look so comfortable in your condition. You look so comfortable in your misery. You look so comfortable in your mess. And Jesus is asking you this morning, do you want to get well? Is survival all that you want out of this life? Do you want to get well? Do you want something from Jesus this morning? Because only you can decide. No one else can decide for you. You have to want it. Do you want to get well? Does anyone desire anything more from Jesus this morning? One of you. We'll, we'll work on it. I don't know. Does anyone desire anything more from Jesus this morning? Because we all need him. We all need to experience him. Because, listen to me, Jesus changes everything. If you hear one thing I say today, Jesus changes everything. And it's not just a one-time encounter. And this is where we find the Israelites in Judges chapter 6. They're in pure survival mode. There's terror in the land because they didn't listen to God. But then guess what? Jesus enters the story and everything changes. Judges 6 verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Aphra, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizer. Now this was no ordinary angel of the Lord. This was in fact uh, uh, Jesus. See, quite a few times in the Old Testament, Jesus would make appearances to his people, and this was one of those times. And so Jesus comes and he sits down beneath this great tree, this great landmark of the area, panicking and freaking out, and Jesus comes on the scene and he's just chilling beneath a tree. Remember, there's terror in the land. Every time they grew their crops, they'd get raided by the Midianites. Their land was stripped completely bare. Everyone's in caves. Everyone's hiding. And this is where we find our hero, Gideon. See, Gideon, the son of Joash, we find him threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. He, like everyone else, he's hiding from the enemy. 
hiding from the Midianites. And Jesus appears to him, and this is awesome. This is great. Jesus says his first words to Gideon. As Gideon's hiding, Jesus says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Mighty hero. Gideon is hiding. He's scared out of his mind. There's terror in the land. Jesus shows up. The first thing he says to Gideon is, Mighty hero. See, today, just like in Judges 6, there's terror on the earth. And we're freaking out. The church is hiding like Gideon in the wine press. But here's the good thing. Jesus knows your identity better than you do. And Jesus is saying to you and me, to the church, mighty hero. You see, heroes don't hide, do they? The church of Jesus Christ does not hide. And Jesus is saying you might know it or not, but you're a mighty hero. You may not act like it. You may not feel like it. But you're a mighty hero, and it's time to get out of hiding. And Gideon replies, and you can hear the cynicism, the skepticism in his voice. He says, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? I think it's awesome. He's talking about the Lord abandoning him when Jesus is standing right in front of his face. How often do we do that? And Jesus ignores his excuses and his dumb questions. Remember, the prophet had told the Israelites exactly why they were in the situation they were in, because they didn't listen to God. And then Jesus turns to Gideon and he says four awesome things. He says, go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites because I am sending you. And Gideon wasn't done with his excuses. He says, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. and I'm the least in in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So Jesus says four things. Go with the strength that you have. I am sending you, I will be with you, and you will destroy. You think you may have heard Jesus say that before? Maybe in the New Testament a few times? Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Go with the strength that you have. Everything you need, you already have within you. One of my favorite verses, 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. See, God considers you trustworthy, worthy of trust. You are appointed by God. So go in the strength that you already have. I am sending you. That might sound familiar. John 20, 21, Jesus tells us and his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. I will be with you, Jesus told us in the Great Commission, and be sure of this, I am always with you, even to the very end of the age. And you will destroy. Luke 10, 19, Jesus told us, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. You know, if there's one thing I do not like on this planet, it is snakes. Amen to that. Yes. We can crush snakes together. And and, and we would do so if we saw some today. But my grandparents, they were missionaries in Africa and Ethiopia. 
And so I've heard a lot of snake stories. But in, in 1952, they moved to a southern region of Ethiopia called Durami. And when they moved there, the church, there was a small church that had been planted by some former missionaries. And, and they, had, they had done the, a lot of the hard work. There was work to be done. But it was starting to grow. But there was a lot of darkness still. And during that time, the, when they arrived there, the witch doctor was very powerful in that area. And my mom remembers as a little girl waking up to, to frenzied drum beats and crazy dancing. And she remembers looking outside her bedroom window. And what she saw created this very strong impression on her little heart. And fear gripped her. And her mom, my grandma, came in and comforted her and explained to her, they, these, these people that you're seeing, they just need Jesus. And the celebration, she explained, was because the witch doctor had been successful in his sacrifice to the devil. You see, every year they would hike up this mountain, Mount Humbericho, to a very large tree that was on top of the mountain. And the tree had a hole in the base of the trunk, and the witch doctor would shave his head, and then they would rub rancid butter on top of his head. And then he would get inside the tree trunk, inside the base of that trunk, and he would lie there, and he would wait for the poisonous snakes to come. And if the snakes licked the butter off of his head, then that, made, that meant Satan had accepted the sacrifice. But if they bit him, then he would die, and Satan, I guess, rejected the sacrifice. And as my grandparents were there, the church grew and grew, and the witch doctor's power became less and less. However, that mountain, Humbericho, was still recognized as the devil's mountain. And about 15 to 20 years ago, the last witch doctor gave his life to Jesus. And today, that mountaintop has been claimed for Jesus Christ. And see, now, now huge church gatherings take place there. Every once in a while, they'll go up there, and instead of worshiping Satan, they'll worship Jesus. And they'll have times of fasting and prayer, and they'll send out missionaries on that very same mountaintop. See, God's in the business of restoring and redeeming both people and his creation. He created that mountaintop. That was always his. But he's in the business of redeeming and restoring. And Jesus says, look, I've given you, the church, all the power, to, authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them and nothing will injure you. Remember what Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16. He says, I will put together my church, a church so expansive with so much energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. You see, the church of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. There's a lot of things that will end. We love this country, America. There's a lot of empires and dynasties, but there's only one kingdom that will never end. The Bible tells us of his kingdom, there will be no end. And I want to encourage you this morning, church. You won't hear this next part on Fox News or CNN, but do you want to be encouraged a little bit? Okay. You see, in the darkest corners of the Middle East, there's a revival breaking out that no one's telling you about. It's actually, it's unprecedented in history. These numbers are insane in a good way. This will blow you away. It will give you a perspective. And when your perspective changes, everything changes. In Sudan, which is a Muslim country, it's a country filled with persecution and war and genocide. One million Sudanese have turned to Jesus Christ since the year 2000. 
And now this total estimated number of believers in that country is more than 5.5 million. In, in Pakistan, Christian leaders tell us that there's a conversion explosion going on in their country. There's now an estimated 2.5 million to 3 million born-again Pakistani believers worshiping Jesus Christ. Entire towns and villages along the Afghan-Pakistani border are converting to Christianity. In Egypt, there's reports that there's a great revival erupting in the land of Egypt. See, Christian leaders there estimate there's more than 2.5 million followers of Jesus Christ, and most of these are Muslim converts. In Iran, at the time of the Islamic Revolution in 1979, there were only about 500 known believers in that entire country. Today, it's estimated that there are 220,000 Christians in Iran. That is unbelievable. There's similar stories I could go on about Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Morocco, huge moves of God happening in, in Mauritania, Algeria, Libya, Tunisia, Mozambique. Check this out. Here are the statistics. Every hour, 667 Muslims find Jesus. That means every day, 16,000 Muslims are converting to Christianity, which means every year, 6 million Muslims convert to Christianity. You will not hear that on Fox News or CNN. See, God is stirring something up. He's doing something right now. See, more Muslims have converted to Jesus Christ in the last 10 years than the, in the last 1,500 years. I did, that, that's not a typo. More Muslims have found Jesus in the last 10 years than in the last 1,500 years. That is amazing. Church, the harvest is ripe. Do not listen to the lies of the enemy. His only power is his lies that he can try to get you to believe. But you have authority over him. Jesus has all authority. All authority was given him. And we serve a great God and a great Jesus. God, the church, the, the church of Jesus Christ is on the move. And church, we can either hide in the wine press from the terror and fear, or we can get out of the wine press. And Jesus is saying to you and to me this morning, he's saying, mighty hero, go with the strength that you have. I am sending you, I will be with you, and you will destroy in a good way. You will light up the darkness in this world. So Gideon has this incredible encounter with Jesus, and from then on, he was never the same. See, when you and I encounter Jesus, we are never the same. And Gideon ends up building an altar to the Lord there that day, and he named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. So in the midst of terror and war and fear, and before anything had ever happened, before he destroyed the Midianites, Gideon encounters Jesus, and by faith he builds an altar to the Lord and he names it Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. Remember in the New Testament, after the death of Jesus and the disciples were freaking out, they were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid, and suddenly Jesus appeared to him, and he was among them, and he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. And those disciples, they encountered Jesus. They listened and they obeyed and they launched the church and turned the entire world upside down. And see, Gideon, he encountered Jesus. He listened and obeyed and he went on, went on to lead the charge to defeat the Midianites. And I don't have time to go into the story this week, but make sure to read that entire story. It is incredible. There's so much there. 
that Gideon did and, and what God did through him. And in Judges 8, 28, remember the altar that Gideon built. In Judges 8, 28, it says, Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, after Israel had defeated Midian, about 40 years there was peace in the land. Peace is the presence of the goodness of God. It's where we all want to be. It's all, where we all need to be. See, you and I need an encounter today with Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. We need an encounter with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And whether it's your first encounter with Jesus, you see, you can encounter him today for the very first time. Right here, right now, you can turn your life to Jesus. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And if you don't know him, I'm begging you, turn your life to him today. He will not disappoint you. He is the only one that will not let you down and disappoint you. And if you are already a follower of Jesus, then you're saved. That's awesome. That's something worth shouting about and screaming about and living each day for. But my question to you is, is survival all that you want out of this life? See, you were made for much more. You were made to be a hero. You still need to hear from Jesus every day. You and I need to live our lives desperate to hear his voice, desperate for an encounter with Jesus. And he's asking you this morning, do you want to get well? Because you might look so comfortable in your situation. You may be stuck in a cycle and you look so comfortable in your misery and comfortable in your mess. Do you want to get well? Is survival all that you want? Because there's so much more. Do you want something from Jesus this morning? Only you can decide. Only you can ask him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes? I just want you to focus for a few moments with no distractions. See, just like the Israelites in Judges 6, you may be stuck in some sort of cycle in your life. And I don't know what that cycle is. Only you do. Only the Holy Spirit knows what that is. Here's what I do know. Right now, you and I are on a tiny ball of dirt called Earth. And this dirt ball is revolving, it's orbiting around the sun once every 365 days at a speed of 67,000 miles per hour. At the same time, it's also rotating around its own axis at a speed of over 1,000 miles an hour. And because of this rotation, we experience darkness, which is night, and light, which is day. See, God set this in motion when he created the world, when he said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. That's why James calls him the father of lights. See, your good, good father, the first gift he ever gave you was light. And every morning for as long as you have lived, the light has always overtaken the darkness. Every morning, no exceptions, the light overcomes the darkness. And see, even when you experience the darkness, it doesn't mean the sun is not there. See, if you're in the darkness, if you're in the night sky, all you have to do is look up. And you can see the evidence of the sun. The light of the sun reflecting off the moon. And see, you, you know. 
you know with confidence and you have faith that the light will soon appear. That morning will come and it will completely consume the darkness. And you may feel stuck this morning. You may feel like you're in the dark. But all you need to do is look up and find the evidence of the sun. Because he is there. He has not gone anywhere. The light will soon appear. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah spoke this prophecy about the coming of Jesus. And this prophecy came true and it's still coming true in your life and my life. He said, because of God's tender mercy, because of the extravagant love of God, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Oh, Jesus, would you break upon us this morning? We need your morning light to come. We are desperate for you. We are desperate to hear your voice. We know that we were made for more than just survival. We were made to be mighty heroes in your name, to advance your kingdom, to lift your name high, not for our glory, but for your glory. God, help us not to hide in fear, but rather listen to the voice of Jesus, knowing that the strength is already within us, knowing that you have sent us, knowing that you are with us, knowing that as your church we can defeat the enemy and light up the darkness in the name of Jesus. So God, let the church rise. Let the church rise to its full potential. Let the church, each and every one listening to my voice, become a mighty hero for Jesus. And all God's people said,